Welcome to Eczema Breakthroughs, brought to you by Global Parents for Eczema Research, or Cheaper. This show features conversations between parents of children with eczema and the world's leading scientists and researchers who study eczema. Learn more about Cheaper and subscribe to the Eczema Breakthrough podcast at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, our topic is itch. Itch is the number one symptom of eczema that parents and caregivers want help with, but as yet, they just don't seem to be great answers. My name is Lanita Howie, and joining me is the founder of Global Parents for Eczema Research, Corey Kaposa. And our guests today are Dr. Sean Quatra. He is an Associate Professor of Dermatology and Director of the John Hopkins Itch Centre in Baltimore. He is an international leader in chronic itch, inflammatory skin diseases, and skin of colour research. And he has written a book entitled Living with Itch. And joining him is his wife, Shivani Patel. She is a practicing pediatric dermatologist and member of both the American Academy of Dermatology and the Society for Pediatric Dermatology. Thank you both for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. I guess the first question I want to ask is why do we itch? If you think about itch generally, why does it happen? Well, you need transmission of the impulse of itch through nerves. But what we're often finding with eczema is that there's a crosstalk between the nerves and the immune cells. And so the itch of eczema happens because of that crosstalk. And that happens because of an impaired skin barrier. So if you have less of a barrier, then you have more exposure of these nerves to different pollutants or substances that can set off this pathway. Okay, so I'm going to share a personal experience and ask about the biology of it. So my son has eczema. I have never had eczema, but I developed it around my eye. And I have so much empathy and sympathy more than ever because it's so vexing and it keeps you up and it's just an awful feeling. But when I put moisturizer on it, like a thick moisturizer, my sense is that I'm blocking the nerves that are interacting with whatever exposure is triggering it. Absolutely. Moisturizers really help with skin barrier. So if you have a broken barrier, you can seal it with that moisturizer. Because eyelid eczema is very prone to environmental pollutants and people have horrible seasonal allergies in the springtime, their eyelids will flare. This actually happens to me as well every spring. But that moisturizer really helps because it does create that barrier and it seals in those little cracks in the skin that we can't see and helps put that barrier there so that you're not getting as much exposure to some of those environmental allergens. Right. In the context of itch, is it performing some role in blunting the crosstalk between the immune system and how like there's more nerve interaction at the surface? I was curious. Absolutely. After I take a shower and I tell my patients after you take a shower, you should be packing in that moisturizer fast because that dense water layer is then going to protect the nerves from being set off and also the immune cell interaction with those nerves. So I view it as absolutely a protective layer. And you're talking about the eyelids. The eyelids are arguably the thinnest area on the body in terms of the skin. So they are probably one of the most prone sites to having external factors set off those nerves and that itch transmission pathway. Because itch is a cycle. There's neurotransmitters, there's immune cells, And then there's various factors outside, but you want to be able to break that cycle. And if you stop the itch message via water barrier, 
then that can be a great way to shut it off. The problem happens is when you let those immune cells get irritated and you have a lot of inflammation. Right. Some moisturizers luckily have anti-inflammatory properties as well, like colloidal oatmeal-based moisturizers, but sometimes it's not enough. I view it as a really important step uh, for all our eczema and itch patients to protect against random bouts of itch. Yeah, it was such an insight for me because I kind of understood more what my son is experiencing and that the moisturizer is important for moisturizing the skin and showing up the skin barrier, but maybe it's also just blocking that tingly feeling of nerves interacting with the environment in a dysregulated way. So it was really interesting. So if you have eczema somewhere and it's itchy and you develop that link between the skin and that spot in your brain, it seems like when you have a trigger like itch or something, it goes back to that spot where it was. It's like the groundwork has been laid and the body just follows that highway that's been built in a way. Is that true? Absolutely. So there's types of immune cells called memory T cells, and they actually are localized in certain areas of the body. And they already have a impetus or stimulus to be able to secrete their contents very easily. And so some of the research that has been emerging is focusing on how do you eliminate these sources of memory T cells? And that's not just eczema, but psoriasis, vitiligo. It's a hotspot for research in general. I noticed with my son, particularly when he gets irritated, he'll naturally go back to that scratching behavior, even when his skin looks great. Is he itchy or is it just a learned behavior? It can be a little bit of both. So if you actually biopsy those areas of skin that appear normal, there is a lot of immune dysregulation underneath that is causing that immune pathway to still be activated. And so you can get that itch there, even though the parents aren't seeing a rash. And and I would add also that I also have eczema and seasonal allergies and asthma as well. And one thing is when I get stressed, I actually break out in eczema and I itch uncontrollably, really, even to this day. The nerves that go out to the outer layer of the skin, they're called A-delta fibers. They traverse from that nearly outer layer of the skin through to the spinal cord and then upwards towards the brain. It's not just one way though. If you have stress, then you can start that itch transmission pathway from up down. And these neural and immune pathways are entirely connected. So that's probably why stress is one of the major contributors and aggravating factors in itch. And I think you've just answered a question from one of our parents. Vanessa from Australia asked, why is itch worse when we're frightened, anxious, and nervous? I also just wanted to comment, you've all talked about experiencing eczema, and I think it's really important that people with eczema can explain to parents what it feels like. My son had eczema, I did not, and he could not verbalize how he felt. So it's really important to share that with parents. We can visually see that irritated, but we don't understand. I think it's so important to have that level of empathy and respect for what folks may be going through. We actually tried to assess the overall burden of itch. And actually, the overall burden of itch was as severe as having chronic heart failure or having a stroke. Wow. And a young child developing and you can't sleep because of the itch. 
you not only will have a lot of different emotional difficulties, but you can also interfere with development. Absolutely. We see a lot of these links between growth parameters at this age just because of that itch. What you've just said has kind of led into a question that I did really want to ask. And it's when do you make the decision to progress from just using topical steroids again and again and again and say, it's time for this child to step it up? Really key is atopic dermatitis or eczema that's uncontrolled. So we'll have some kids who have seasonal flares, but then we have kids that they're filling that refill every single month, squeezing that last bit out, and that's not really controlled. A lot of it is also dependent on parents. When you talk about eczema in kids, it's not just the kids that are affected, it's the whole family. So that's the time that you want to really start thinking about moving on. We have a lot of topical non-steroidal agents like ruxolitinib, tacrolimus, pimecrolimus. These are really great to use in those situations. So an area that's constantly flaring, you can have a maintenance treatment that prevents you from having to use too much of that topical steroid. I think it's great that we know now it's safe to use topical calcineurin inhibitors, tacrolimus, permicrolimus. So that is encouraging to see that there are treatments that are now proven safe that can be used. One thing that I think helps with itch is a simple soak and smear technique. So we'll do that for a lot of our younger kiddos where you're taking a tub of Vaseline, smear it all over them after a bath, and then doing a wet pair of pajamas followed by a dry pair on top. We also do have other therapies available like phototherapy or light therapy, which has been around for for so long and it still works great for eczema and it still works for the right patient. But when you see that it's impacting everybody in the household because we can't get it under control, you have to really start thinking about systemic therapies. And one of the ones that we go to at this age is dupilumab because it is approved for children six months and older. It can really help with their eczema and the itch that's associated with it compared to 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we were using a lot of older agents that had a little bit more toxicity associated with them and um, really weren't getting great results. Just a few years ago, we were using very dangerous drugs that have poor safety profiles, things like cyclosporin, methotrexate, that really were not good drugs to be using in children. And luckily now with the emergence of dupilumab and other drugs following behind it, we're able to get control of disease in these patients because of those consequences. I wanted to ask a quick question about treating itch. It's the symptom that patients and parents care the most about. So is something really an eczema treatment if it doesn't address itch? Like, I think eczema treatments need to tackle itch. It's the hallmark symptom and the most troublesome symptom for patients and caregivers. But are there standalone treatments for itch at this point, or are we really tackling it within the context of addressing eczema severity more globally? Because to be honest, that's one of the reasons why we hesitated on doing a podcast specifically on itch, because we didn't want to tell people, and there's nothing for you. So you have to think about the origin of itch. And there's many different causes. There's neuropathic itch, there's systemic related itch, there's inflammatory itch. So eczema is a form of inflammatory itch. One of the ways I think about atopic dermatitis is that it is the rash that itches. And the reason I say that is because it's not usually itch completely in isolation. It's itch also in the context of inflammation. Type 2 inflammation, IL-4, IL-13, IL-31 are some of the cytokines that are very important. So I believe if you have a therapeutic that's targeting 
those specific cytokines, you are targeting the itch of eczema. So there are some therapeutics that are specifically only targeting itch, but in atopic dermatitis, I don't believe those are going to be the appropriate therapeutics. And so even new therapeutics in development, like there's an agent topical reflumolast or Cerebe, which is a topical cream in development. There's another one approved called Eucrisa. And these agents are targeting those cytokines. There's another drug called Topinarov, which is targeting cytokines, but in a little bit different mechanism. The JAK inhibitors target those same cytokines. So I think that in atopic dermatitis, you have to be focused on the origins. And like Shivani was saying earlier, if you do biopsies of normal appearing skin, you still have inflammation that's interacting with the nerve. It's been hard to develop treatments for itch. And I wondered, why is it so much harder than, say, developing a treatment for pain? I think the main problem has been the recognition of itch as a devastating independent disease state. Honestly, even me, someone who treats itch patients, when I tell some of my colleagues or friends, they don't have a lot of respect. Sometimes I can sense for the degree of burden these patients have and the work that we're doing. And so subsequently, I think there's been less respect for the disease and that's led to less funding. Itch is gaining steam now. There's an itch scale that's validated from zero to 10. So now these therapeutics, you can see how they line up and that's helping to increase awareness. But we're also doing a job at the front lines, trying to emphasize how important itch is. Dante's Inferno refer to chronic itch as being one of the rungs of hell. And there's a village in India that had this triangular cage with an itch-causing substance, and they've placed folks in that cage as a deterrent or punishment. And even one day of being in that cage, they found, is more of a deterrent to subsequent crimes than being in prison for 10 years. Wow. Having folks really have the right degree of recognition I think pain's terrible. I think it's just worse. Definitely. So I think unless you experience it yourself or the loved one, it's hard to have that empathy. And so now we're catching up with research resources from the NIH. Industry is getting really focused on it as well. So it is the golden age for itch therapeutics now. So that's good news. That's a hopeful note. And I do think a lot of patients prefer pain to itch. You hear them say that. They actually cause pain to distract from the itch. So it's very telling. That's all point of scratching, right? Yeah. I mean, let's push in the pudding. I had a quick question about the role of staph in itch, because we know staph aureus bacteria is more pronounced on the skin of people with eczema. And it seems like throwing gasoline on the fire of eczema it makes it harder to treat and get under control and it has this exacerbating effect. But what is it doing to itch, if anything? So there have been studies on eczema patients in general, and when folks are having flares, that's when their Staphylococcus aureus levels are the highest. So when you're having a flare, having these bad bacteria on your skin is going to exacerbate disease. These Staph species release proteases that also activate itch. So Staph aureus has direct interaction with the nerves. We've been learning a lot more about dysregulated microbiome and how this dysregulated microbiome directly interfaces onto the nerves. So our lab is doing a lot of research on the skin microbiomes, how it directly activates itch. And then also one very unique area is we're actually spending some time looking at the gut microbiome. 
because the vagus nerve travels all the way to your gut. And that can also be an area where the itch signal can be transduced. So it's very interesting that these dysregulated species can release a lot of the substances like proteases that can then trigger these responses. Also, the eosinophil is oftentimes associated with significant itch because it has a number of different granules it releases that then set off the nerves. So that's how systemic this is in nature. When we're treating these patients, I'm talking a lot about what are they putting on their body? Are they doing bleach baths if they're having certain flares of their disease because of those staph aureus species? What food are they eating? What are their stress levels like? And then talking about systemic and topical drugs that are able to reduce inflammation and protect the barrier with moisture. And then what type of factors are in their environment in terms of pollutants or allergens? That's why eczema is so complex. Yeah, it's fascinating how there's so much more communication than we realized between the skin, the brain, the gut, the immune system, and that the body has the ability to send signals across all of these different areas in such a complex way, even involving the bacteria that are hanging out in and around the skin and the gut. So it seems like a pretty complex picture to disentangle. But it's definitely not just clearly a skin issue, which I think is really important for people to understand. Yeah, we have a lot of parents come in who ask for that one thing they can eliminate to just cure their child's eczema. And I think what Sean just said is showing how difficult that is because it's such a multifactorial disease. You've got that interplay between the skin, the brain, the gut, bacterial load, environmental allergens, genetics, pollutants, your environment, stress, all of those things are playing a role into every flare that you're having. It would be great if there was one simple fix, but sometimes you go barking up the wrong tree and you can create more problems. No, Shivana, you deal with this too. Yes. We have a lot of kids that have this regimen of antihistamines and they're still itchy. They're still flaring. This itch is not histaminergic. And I tell parents, all you're going to do is make your kid drowsy enough to fall asleep. So they can't itch, but they're still itchy. An antihistamine is something we'd all like to exist. A drug that reduces itch quickly and safely, but it doesn't actually work in atopic dermatitis to reduce itch pathways. Okay. We know that folks who even take a low dose of non-sedating antihistamines may be at a greater risk of even having dementia. So you have to factor that in and you have to know it's not being targeted to the underlying disease. Non-sedating antihistamines in particular, I think do absolutely nothing in atopic dermatitis, maybe a placebo effect. And then sedating antihistamines are not something Either of us really encourage a lot of, especially in an era where we understand the underlying neuroimmune dysregulation and we have therapies that can address it very directly. So that's another one of the eczema dogmas that has been hampering care, I think. I think it's so important to get the word out because in addition to dementia for adults, there's ADHD and different issues that have been linked to their use in kids, but it's still so widespread, so widespread. I bet most of the Eczema kids in our group have been on serious antihistamines one time or the other. I'm guilty as well. I'm really glad you brought this up because I think it's really important to keep revisiting these standard beliefs that we need to change. Yeah, I, I agree. We're nearly out of time, but I just have one question from a parent that I wanted to ask. Tanya from New Zealand wants to know, why is itch more persistent at night? We all notice it. It's a great question. There are many things that factor in. One, when you're busy during the day, you have less of a focus on those specific sensations. So these nerves 
are transmitting itch, pain, temperature, vibration. So you're likely to also have your mind be distracted. Secondly, there's also circadian rhythms in release of pro-inflammatory mediators. So in a lot of our studies, a lot of these patients have had excessive release of many of these neural and also immune secreted mediators at night. So there's a number of different factors that can make it more pronounced at night. That's really interesting. It makes sense that we're less distracted at night, but I didn't know about these pro-inflammatory mediators that we can release at night and that eczema patients may be releasing more. Thank you. Well, our time is up. Thank you both. This has been a really great chat. And I think you really summed it up to say that itch is just not respected as a comorbidity of the disease. And thank you so much for dedicating your research to improving our understanding of itch. You've got a lot of parents cheering you on on the sidelines, that's for sure. And Shivani, thank you so much for dedicating your life to helping our kids as well, because we need people like you that are empathetic and compassionate. And it's you guys that help us get through this, this trauma of living with eczema. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And for anybody that's out there, you can also follow us on social media. Shivani's at, at Pete's Durham Doc, and I'm at Dr. Sean Quatra on Instagram and also on Twitter. And very excited that so many folks are interested about itch and eczema and it's a great time for everyone for patients for providers also giving us great joy to see folks getting better yeah absolutely thank you guys thank you everybody thank you so much you've been listening to the eczema breakthrough podcast to learn more and join global parents for eczema research or to subscribe to this podcast please visit us at parentsforeczemaresearch.org And if you enjoy our podcast, consider supporting it with a tax-deductible donation through our website. We depend on listeners like you to keep producing high-quality, science-based episodes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast.